living on the edge. It's the only way he lives. We are the SpyFi Guys, and this is the Living Daylights. Welcome to the SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today, we are returning to James Bond. Continuing our completely out-of-order coverage of the Bond movies, we are going with The Living Daylights, which, Zach, I believe is the last film that you haven't seen. Yes, this is the last James Bond movie that I had not seen. Wow, okay, interesting. It was disappointing to see it end on a low light. (laughs) What? Uh, You know, know, we'll get into it. All right. This is the 1987 Timothy Dalton film, his first film as James Bond. He Mm -hmm. only had two, this and License to Kill, which was the first James Bond film that we covered, if I recall correctly. That's right. Ending his uh, tenure with his first film here, but and also, I guess, with, you know, all the Bond films now you've seen, and now you can, well, how much do you actually remember of all of them? Very little. <laughs> okay. Well, of course, some more memorable than others, but I definitely remember nothing about Octopussy, just to pull one out of the midair. That is an interesting one that we will cover at some point, but um, a lot of brown face, would you say? Again? Oh, it's it's Or maybe for the first time? <laughs> In, yeah, well, I mean, I guess you only live twice as yellow face with Bond. Well, you're here to talk about that. We're here to talk about The Living Daylights, which I looked up in between our last discussion about it. And the term The Living Daylights refers to someone's eyes, as in I'm going to scare the living daylights out of them. I actually had no idea and never thought about it. Okay. Well, you certainly heard that expression before. but Yeah, well, mostly from James Bond. Oh, really? It's weird to have it removed from that expression. Fair enough. It's like the term the whole kettle caboodle. Mm-hmm. You have you hear the word caboodle without that. It's really weird. <laughs> like doesn't belong. So the movie is based on, in part, the short story by Ian Fleming, which was one in one of I think it was the last um, of his collection of short stories. It was um, compiled posthumously after he died in 1964, if I'm correct. The book that is compiled in is called Octopussy and the Living Daylight. Speaking of Octopussy, and I did read it beforehand. It is a very short story. It's actually, but, and we'll get into where it comes into the story. Octopussy and the Living Daylight sounds like a Roald Dahl novel. <laughs> I could see that. So, Zach, why don't you take us in with our IMDb plot synopsis? Okay. James Bond is sent to investigate a KGB policy to kill all enemy spies and uncovers an arms deal that potentially has global major ramifications and i'm pretty sure a lot of that is wrong mostly right but Did, you know we'll get to it didn't we'll imdb it. also mess up a plot summary of one of our movies i seem to remember I'm sure that. it did at some point yeah i mean these are all user submitted so yeah who knows you get what you pay for mm-hmm. <laughs> and speaking of this free podcast now <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway so we start with a briefing from m He's briefing a bunch of 00 agents. And I don't okay. actually name them. They only name 004 on screen, but I think the other one is 002. Mm-hmm. So he's getting a briefing. Apparently, there's a training mission on the Rock of Gibraltar. And then the back of his office opens up, and we find out they're in a cargo plane. All his papers fly out. Yeah, I thought the office in a plane was funny. And I also wanted to point out that the exercises against the Special Air Service or the SAS. SAS, yep, yep. Yeah, one of the most feared real life British commando units. As opposed to the 007s, which are not real, as far as we know. <laughs> the three 00 agents parachute out of the back of the uh, 
cargo plane. Yeah, the scenery looked really good here. Yeah, really no, good. It, it, it looked like a real skydiving, and it, and it was a real skydiving. Probably with just stunt doubles, though. Um, mm-hmm. Let me actually. Have you been skydiving before? Absolutely not. And I'll be happy <laughs> if I never do. This sounds like when I asked you if you'd been in a helicopter before. I didn't have as strong feelings about it. I would ride in a helicopter, but if I never ride in a helicopter, I'll not feel like I missed out on anything. Uh, yeah, no, those two things were like on my bucket list of things I have to do once in my life. And I did. Actually, I went for my cousin's birth, 21st birthday. He decided instead of getting really drunk, we're going to get really high. Wow. Can't get much higher than that, I suppose. <laughs> no, but it was a lot of fun. I did a tandem jump. It was in Hawaii, so great scenery below me. Speaking of good scenery, mm-hmm. and it is—it's a rush. It is. I would, I would do it again. I think. Would you go bungee jumping? You know, weirdly enough, I would not do bungee jumping, but I would, would do skydiving again. <laughs> skydiving is probably safer. Oh, uh, yeah. They parachute onto the rock of Gibraltar. Double O two gets stuck in a tree and. I see that they're using basically paintballs. Yes, that's right. And these badass SAS agents who are so feared the world over just walk up to him and shoot him with a paint gun. And say, well, to be fair, bad. the guy was just in a tree. That's a very <laughs> it's like, not like he can really do anything else. I'm like, yeah, all right. I see you. Yeah, I'm just going to shoot you with a paintball. 004 is climbing, trying to climb up. And mm. as he's climbing up, there's someone near, also dressed in black at the top of his rope. And we're like, who is this? Because he's not one of the 00 agents. I was having trouble keeping track because there we saw three jump down yep. and then there was four on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, what? What's happening? <laughs> this guy gets shot by the SAS with a paint and then he whips out a real gun and shoots the SAS guy mm-hmm. and then cuts the rope of 004. And as 004 falls, as he, he, this is when we get our first glimpse of Bond. And so that's our introduction to the new James Bond. Well, I would say this whole... Opening is I mean, like his first the first time we see his face, really. Like that's as correct. opposed to the first time we see Brosnan's face, it's upside down in a toilet. Yep. And the first time we see Sean Connery where he's just sitting there at the baccarat table. Don't just say just sitting there. He's sitting there looking the coolest in his tuxedo. Uh-huh. But, We're know, not going to repeat that again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, first, there's a weird scene with a monkey. It's not a weird scene. I would describe it as a jump scare. Uh, because okay, yeah, it's supposed to be startling. And I was like, wow, that's the one thing that James Bond movies really needed was jump scares. Oh, I thought you were going to say monkeys. Said that. Uh, no, there's been monkeys before in James Bond I know. movies. I know. Yeah, I'm just... <laughs> yeah, and I don't like monkeys, so I was happy. I'm sorry, what? I don't like monkeys. They're annoying. Why don't you like... What? You. What? <laughs> Never go to Costa Rica, then. There are lots of monkeys there. Thanks for the heads up. I appreciate that. But for everyone else who is normal, go to Costa Rica. It's a beautiful place. There are dozens of us. <laughs> dozens of us monkey haters. All right. Anyway, so Bond gets the attacker. Well, basically, yeah. It's like the Indiana Jones truck fight where mm-hmm. the guy's driving and Bond is trying to get him. And this 80s synthesizer music plays over the whole thing. <laughs> I love it. It's <laughs> I would say it's a tie between this and uh, View to a Kill, which is the movie preceded this, that has like mm-hmm. the most 80s soundtrack. <laughs> and I, I, I love it. I love it. My favorite part here is when the SAS guard at the, what is it, at the board, at, at the it's like entrance. A checkpoint. Yeah, checkpoint. Thank you. Checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Why did I can think of checkpoint? Um, he shoots at them with the uh, paintballs and he goes, hang on, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, I seem to remember you quoting that from something else. 
<laughs> Probably. I mean, it is. I don't know why that line sticks with me. It's just so funny. But yeah, he's so befuddled as only British <laughs> people can be. I think when he's shooting the windshield with the paint, it was like yeah. instinct. Uh, when the car yeah. chases him, you just mm-hmm. shoot it with whatever you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Jeep chases through a bunch of streets, does crash into stuff, almost crashes into a family, <laughs> goes over a cliff, and Bond uses his parachute, which he had on from before, or I guess his backup chute from before, to mm. get out of the out of there. But it gets uh, tattered up with like the flames and explosions from when from the Jeep. And so he has to land quickly, and he spots a yacht below him. Okay, I have a quick thing here. I have a note where I was yeah. like, okay, the bad guy dies without telling us why he was there or what was going on. Is Except, it a plot hole, or are they no. going to explain it later? And it turns out they did explain it later. And they do see, like, I, I didn't mention it, but, you know, before he kills 004, he puts, like, this little note on a carabiner and, like, slides it down to him. Yes, that's right. And I'm used to these openings in James Bond movies being kind of like the beginning of a Star Trek episode. I know I always bring up Star Trek, but it's <laughs> often completely self-contained and not related to the rest of the movie. Am so I remembering that correctly? I'm trying to think light? of the last time. So, obviously, so for all of the Daniel Craigs, all of those have been, those pre-credit scenes have been connected. The Brosnans, um, let's see, Die Another Day is connected. GoldenEye? World is Not Enough is connected, yes. GoldenEye is connected because it's got, that's when you meet um, Uramov and Alec Trevelyan. Okay, so maybe some are connected more than others. Uh, I, w- I want to think when the last one that's completely disconnected is. It's probably into the Roger Moore era. View to a Kill. What was the pre-credits for View to a Kill? I don't actually remember. Let's try to remember to put that on social media and see if people want to weigh yeah. in. Help us yeah. remember. I, I, it is probably in the Roger Moore era of I think it might be Octopussy. Yeah, <laughs> it's brought up again. Yeah, he lands on the yacht, and there's of course a beautiful woman there, and he's, he like takes her. She's on the phone with her friend, saying, "Oh, there's no one interesting here. There's only playboys and tennis pros." Mm-hmm. He grabs the phone, and is like, "She'll call you back," and it's the giant '80s phone, which I which I love. <laughs> Bond was pretty cool here. Timothy Dalton is good at the commando secret agent. Mm-hmm. Being an action hero stuff, I'm not sure he's so good at the romance stuff. We can discuss agree it. Agree to disagree, but okay. Yeah, he calls uh, MI6, says, what's going on? And, you know, I'll report in well, an hour. I'm sorry, he doesn't yeah. say what's going on. He's like, I will report it in an hour. That's what he I doesn't yeah, say, yeah. There's this rogue dude here who killed two of our agents, and I killed him. Something went says, the exercise. He just checks in, basically, and says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still alive, and I'll report in an hour. And then he, yeah. the woman yeah. gives her champagne, says, better make that two. I did like the way he was delivering these lines. It felt mm-hmm. very professional and like a secret agent. Mm-hmm. Just the content was a little bit uh, strange, as I mentioned that before. And <laughs> that was a good line, yes. Yeah. Okay, so then we go into the title sequence, which are super 80. The song is by AHA, who is most famous for that song, Take On Me. That's right. And I noticed uh, in the credits, Joe Don Baker and John Reese davies Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. They are both in here. Um, I don't actually remember too much about the credits, other than I think there was some, like, tumbling in there. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, like, a gun firing out the, you know, the words. This is, I would say, not one of the more memorable title sequences. So something I noticed about this movie is that I get the impression, and I don't know all the background info, that with the new yeah. Bond, they had to make it clear that, yes, this is a James Bond movie, and all of the elements are going to be there. 
whether yeah. we like it or not. And yeah. for this opening credits, we got women swimming in bathing suits, and we've got guns. And that is what a James Bond opening needs. Except for Casino Royale. Well, with Casino Royale, it was the changing up as well, where women in bathing suits swimming around the opening credits probably didn't play as well. So we go to Bratislava, where there's an orchestra performance. We see Bond there with head of station V Vienna, whose mm-hmm. name is Saunders, and he's very snooty. Bond notices the, a girl with a cello. Saunders is like, you know, focus on the mission, not on the ladies. There's a lot of telling about who James Bond is. There's a lot of saying, James Bond is the ladies' man. James Bond is the best. James Bond can do anything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Have you noticed this? No. I think it's partially, as you said, you know, they have to reestablish it. All right, this is still James Bond, even though it's not Roger Moore, because this is his first film. Dalton, that is. They just need to hammer home some of those things for people who maybe are like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't like him. Where's Roger Moore? Yeah, some things never change. So Bond at this part has a tactical tuxedo that uh, quick changes. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So they so they're bringing someone across the border. He turns his dinner jacket into a sniper outfit. So he has the like folds up the collar, folds it over, and then like a part goes across his collar, so it's all black. Mm-hmm. And they say that this guy is defecting, and he asked for Bond specifically because exactly. quote, he's the best. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, a lot of people in this movie seem to know who James Bond is, and his reputation has preceded itself. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, the classic joke is that in every James Bond movie, he's a terrible spy because as soon as he shows up, the bad guys always know who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think by this point in his career, it feels real that his reputation has preceded itself. Don't start. Do not mention three words that you know I hate about James Bond. I was not and... even thinking about that. Okay, but if they're going with this is the same person, he's encountered the Russians so many times. The previous head of the KGB... General Gogol, who appears later in the film. So it's, you know, he's had many encounters. So, of course, they would know who James Bond is. You know, I love my continuity and living worlds. <laughs> so anything that helps with that is great. Yeah. Bond asks, you know, what's the plan for getting him out once we get him across? And he gives him the the line, which I love. And I think I, I use this all the, a lot. Section 26, paragraph 5. That information is on a need-to-know basis. Yeah, but Bond gets him back for that later. Mm-hmm. We see Koskov, who is the person who's coming across, sneaking out of the bathroom. And as they're like watching him go, go out of the bathroom, like, what's he, they're like, what's he waiting for? And we see there's a sniper on the top floor trying to shoot at Koskov. And it's the girl with the cello. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We have a cello player assassin. That is just so typical James Bond. And I wow. thought we were going to use her like sexiness against him, like in Goldeneye, but I was wrong. <laughs> Did I ever tell you actually I used to play the cello? So no, I had some didn't. notes. Yes, no, I played for about six years in high school. So I have notes on her cello playing, but we'll get to them once we actually see her play. All right. He has the target reticle pointed right at her head, and he moves it so that he hits the gun instead. So the impression that I got. And yeah. let me know if I'm wrong. Is that he misses because he thinks she's hot? Mm, is that correct? No, that is not correct. Because <laughs> I seem to remember later he's like, "Oh, I didn't actually think that she was going to kill him." We'll get to it. Does we'll that sound right? It. Okay, that's yeah. not correct. But you are thinking like Saunders did. Well, like I said, Bond's <laughs> reputation precedes <laughs> about a whole bunch of things. Yeah, Koskov gets across the street, gets over to them, and 
Bond says that he's scrubbed uh, Sonder's original plan because it was just really to take him across in the trunk of the car, mm-hmm. which is a terrible plan. That's right. But I do think it's funny that Bond is this whole elaborate operation, like ready to go, presumably just for this general, because they say later, mm-hmm. you're the first one to go, exactly. which is like some Han Solo style humor, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. So the new plan is they're going to get him across in a in the pipeline to the west, the Trans-Siberian Pipeline. So they have their, their man there, Rosie, and they put Koskov in a pig, which is a scouring pug that is designed to clear out the pipeline. It's fitted so that it, this one can actually fit, you know, get a man inside there. Oh, so that's real. I thought they just made it up for the movie. Um, I mean, I know that scouring plugs are a thing, but uh, I, I don't know if they actually got anyone across in this fashion. Well, presumably not, but like, yeah, there's no. a thing that exists that can f- go through a pipeline super quick. Is yeah, the point? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's supposed to go, go that quick, but yes. Uh, probably not. But yeah. Rosie distracts her supervisor, by with her feminine wiles, shall yeah, we say? That's right. Go ahead and say it. You know you want to. It's funny that <laughs> recently, and by recently I mean a few months ago, we had our. Global James Bond Day draft game where mm-hmm. our friend of the pod, Sarah, said that James Bond movies, basically, as long as Bond girls exist, James Bond movies will be sexist slash misogynist. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing a little bit of thinking about that since then, and we'll have okay. more to say about this Bond girl. But for now, I'll say that this scene is very much a reminder that this movie is a product of the 80s, mm. which is not the most progressive time for gender relations. No. No, it was not. Koskov goes across the border through the pipeline and is met in Austria by Q, and he gets a Harrier jet out. Yeah, the Harrier jet has what they call a VTOL system, which stands for vertical takeoff and landing. Yep, yep. And it's pretty cool, but Mm -hmm. a little bit unnecessary for the purposes of the plot. (laughs) Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, how else are you going to get him? Like, if you're getting him out by a plane, there's no runway. Uh, Whatever. (laughs) This, This whole thing bugged me only because... It ended up being pointless for the overall plot of the movie because he defects and then he just goes right back. So it's like, come it's on. It's not pointless, though. Well, you know what? Well, let's, let's get to it. Bond meets Saunders at the board, like you said, too. And, you know, this is where, yeah, Bob, he criticizes Bond for not killing her because, in Saunders' opinion, because Saunders thought that Bond thought the girl was beautiful. But mm. Bond, the reason Bond didn't kill her is because he knew that she wasn't a professional. In his words, she didn't know one end of the gun from the other. Yeah, but that's exactly what they would want you to think, Bond. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not even going to. If you're and, a killer, you don't want to look like a killer. Seems obvious to me. Also no. around here is the title of the movie is dropped, mm-hmm. but I don't remember yep. the context. Wow, wow. May, may or may not be in my favorite quote, so we'll save it for then. So we go back to good. MI6, mm-hmm. and Q is going uh, with Bond, going over the you know, list of all the different female KGB assassins. It's where we meet our new money, Penny. Did you notice anything notable about one of those female assassins? The one who strangles people with their legs? Yeah. Zenya yeah. on the top. Yeah. Well, it was, was not Zenya, but a pre- predecessor to Zenya on the top, presumably. Or a different code name. Yeah, could be. Ah. But yeah, Money Penny is there as well. She's a more mousy sort of Money Penny than the others, some of the others. Yeah, I was told not to say that because it's mean. Oh? I always oh, thought yeah. it was just neutral, but oh. apparently it's like insulting that's what okay. i heard yeah also around this part is we meet the ghetto blaster <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
See you being open to the 80s. Yeah, I like the yeah. 80s music that came out of it, though. <laughs> it's better than the music on the boombox in The Undiscovered Country, or The Voyage Home, rather. <laughs> oh, speaking of another 80s, uh, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, the I King- hate you, and <laughs> I degrade you. I'm not sure oh, that gosh. would have been quite the contrast if they put it in this yeah. movie. But then the scene ends with the sound on the subtitles of, quote, slapping buttocks. Oh, you noticed that too, did you? <laughs> I, I did never, I've seen this movie many a time. And, and, but, you know, usually I don't have the subtitles on, but, you know. And, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a new one for James Bond. <laughs> He's supposed to be classier than that. I assume you're not remembering in Goldfinger. Say goodbye to Felix. Hmm? Man talk. Slap. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's a big thing. It's not new for Bond, but it is new to have that uh, that that subtitle there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was pretty uh, memorable, I dare say. Yeah, actually, and the other thing about this scene is that he does ask Money Penny to look for any you know any record of a woman cellist in the Bratislava Conservatory. This guy running who's pretending to be American, and he knocks into a milkman. Is oh, sorry in a very exaggerated American accent. And then mm-hmm. he kills the milkman with and uses his headphone wires as a garrote. He's got like a Walkman on him all that, all the time. Yeah, it's super 80s Walkman right out of <laughs> Back to the Future. Or, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it's more Guardians of the Galaxy. That's fair. That's our first sign of this assassin. And we see Bond driving up in his Aston Martin V8 Vantage. I've actually seen this car back in, uh, what, 2014 or 15 or so when I went to London. They have this big exhibit called Bond in Motion over in Covent Gardens in in London. And they had Mm -hmm. like all of the James Bond cars, including this one and this one with all of its gadgets out. Oh, nice. Yeah, it does have a lot of good gadgets. The cello. Oh, yes, the eponymous Uh cello. And so I'll post those photos on our social media. Actually... I have I visited a few places related to this movie that we'll, I'll talk about when we get to them. Okay. Brought some foie gras, some caviar, and champagne for Koskov because he does not like the food at the safe house. Which we should say, the safe house is like a mansion somewhere in the English countryside. So I'm sure the food would be actually good there. And he's just a picky Russian. No, it's because they're British. <laughs> Everybody knows the hey, British I have food. To like British food. I mean, I'm... some British food is good, but they needed that chicken tikka masala badly from the Indian immigrants. <laughs> oh, whatever. They know I'm right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. And there goes. You Christian know, that the UK out. is our second highest country in terms of downloads than than the US. Well, so. uh, they can write in and tell me how wrong I am. And if they're willing to send me recommendations for British food, I'd be happy to try it. Okay. All right. I mean, I do like a steak and kidney pie. I like fish and chips, as I may have mentioned. <laughs> So M is meeting with this general. It's just a different general. There's too many generals in this movie. Oh, no, it's the same general. Is meeting with M and talking about the plot of the movie. Was Koskov a general? Yes, he was. Really? Oh, uh-huh. okay. I knew that we have General Gogo. We have General Pushkin. Mm-hmm. Was he? There, I, I guess... think he is General Gogo. No, General Gogo is later. Is former head of the KGB. Yeah. George guy's Georgie. Or G- yeah. Georgie. Hey there, Georgie girl. <laughs> well, whoever he is. Georgie Koskov. Yeah. He's talking about this plan called Death to Spies. Smirich Spionum. Yep. Which is Lieutenant a callback. General. 
Oh, lieutenant general. Oh, yes, a general. So it's it's like a lieutenant commander. You call him commander. Yeah. All right. So yes, you're right. He is a general. Yes, this plant is, I guess, coming back like from the past because it wasn't mm-hmm. the real life one in like the 50s. Yes, we will talk about that in our spy fact versus spy fiction. Okay, so basically, it's like that episode of Get Smart, where oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where the spies on both sides are getting attacked, and the idea is it's going to start a war somehow, and then it won't be a nuclear war, because then everyone will die. It's just a normal war. Well, uh, pu- uh, not Pushkin. Uh, Kos- there are too many generals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Koskov says, you know, God forbid this might lead to nuclear war. Oh, so they're, they want to st- raise tensions. They yeah. don't want a nuclear war. They're just not thinking through the ramifications of what they're doing. Yeah, so as this is all going on, the assassin from pre- before has now disguised himself as the milkman. He goes into the safe house, kills a cook, and mm-hmm. fights off an agent, and then impersonates the agent and says there's a gas leak. The kitchen fight is really yeah. good for yeah. a fight that yeah. doesn't have James Bond in it. <laughs> but it has our lead henchman, basically. Yes, that's correct. I appreciated it, though, that they let someone who isn't James Bond do mm-hmm. something cool. <laughs> so again, in Star Trek, it's not only Star Trek, but a lot of other things do this, where everyone who isn't the main character is like an idiot in order to make the main character look good. And I really don't like that. I also like at one point Necros is the name of the assassin, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uses an exploding milk bottle. Oh yes. So here's my question about that though. Uh-huh. He didn't have the milk bottles before. Mm-hmm. Well, and actually, how do you know that? Maybe he was intending to disguise himself as a milkman all along. I'm sure he was. Yeah, but he was running. Uh-huh. And that's what he so he didn't have all those on him when he was running. And then he attacks the milkman. He put us to pulled it from like an invisible pocket. No, actually, my theory is that he had explosives on him and he put mm. them into the milk bottle. Waterproof explosives, yeah. milkproof well, explosives. I mean, um, maybe he emptied out the milk. Who knows? Yeah, he's a milk themed supervillain, ready to go. <laughs> Pretty much. So he impersonates the agent, says his gas leave, finds Koskov, and when Koskov sees him, he's like KGB. <laughs> yeah doesn't he also say they have a termination warrant on me or something mm-hmm. like that yeah he does say that so yeah so he gets taken in a helicopter mm-hmm. necros disguises himself as a doctor and there's like one guy the one agent who's there guarding koskov is like threatened at gunpoint and he's the one witness to tell the story basically yeah he escapes really easily <laughs> almost too easily but then there's actually mm-hmm. a good explanation for why it was so easy mm-hmm. which i like yeah, so back at MI6, M and the Minister of Defense are meeting with Bond. Mm-hmm. They issue a termination warrant for General Pushkin because now they believe that this whole Schmidt Spionum operation is real. Yeah, and it's totally believable. Mm-hmm. And all the story totally checks out. And in other James Bond movies, past and future, Russian generals have just been the bad guy. Maybe not behind it all, but certainly just a straight up bad guy. Here's the thing I thought about, though. Uh-huh. Anytime you have these Russian generals as bad guys, they're always like a breakoff or rogue Russian general. It's they're never mm-hmm. working directly underneath the orders of the of the Politburo or anyone. That's right. Obvious why? Because you don't want to piss off the Russians. Yes, and you know what it's like. It's like Star Trek again. How many times oh, can boy. I bring there up Star go. Trek in the classic Star Trek movies? Ah, uh, yes. They're trying to make peace with the Klingons. So Christopher Lloyd. 
Christopher Plummer. What is all the Christophers? Christophers. (laughs) Yeah. The dude in the final frontier that nobody wants to remember because he's terrible. Those are all break off rogue Klingons too. Mm -hmm. They're not acting under orders from their government. No. No. I mean, even first time we meet up with the Russians and from Russia with love. What is her name? Lottie Lenya is the actress. Rosa Kleb, Colonel Rosa uh-huh. Kleb, Russian, but now working for Spectre. But it boggles my mind because everyone always says, oh yeah, the Russians are the bad guys. In Bond movies, like, no, actually, they're always, they're, they might be Russian, but they're always like break off rogue Russians. Yeah, a Russian is a bad guy, not yeah. the Russians. Exactly. Very important exactly. distinction. <laughs> Anyways, so we, this is where we get what revealed what's on that carabiner that was on, near, on 007 or 004's body, and it said mm-hmm. on it, Spionum. Right. I'm going to let you keep saying it so I don't have to. <laughs> so Bob yes. gets some gadgets, including knockout gas and explosives. Mm-hmm. And the way the explosive activates is with a wolf whistle. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> so, and, But again, the gas activates by whistling the first bars of Rue Britannia. Isn't that enjoyed. just an encapsulation of James Bond? Patriotism and womanizing the wolf whistle bugged me and explosives yeah well the wolf whistle bugged me because again i think bond is classier than that right i don't think it doesn't think bond is classier than that and he was the one who programmed it yeah but the writers wrote the movie okay so we also have this couch gag where (laughs) one of the texts remember oh what movie was it i don't remember it was casino royale or get smart and you were like saying, no, this is too too ridiculous mm. for a Q scene. I was like, no, the Q scenes are pretty out there in terms of the humor. So here's an example of that. Yeah, it's a man-eating couch. It's kind of <laughs> like a mimic from Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Where it eats a guy. <laughs> so we also find out from Money Penny that she found the cellist. Her name is Kara Milovi. And now Bond mm. wants tickets to, to Tangier via Bratislava. And I, I looked at the map. There's no good... <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> no good way to make that route. Kara's name is easy to remember because it's like Supergirl. Sure. Okay. And I got to say, she is not one of the better Bond girls. Can we Boo. agree on that? Boo you. Boo. Do you, do you agree with any of my opinions about this movie? No. <laughs> Apparently Kara not. Kara is great. I like Kara. Okay. And not just because she's a cellist. Cellists oh, need more I love. Oh, I see. Mm. Bond goes to Bratislava, sees Kara performing, and then she leaves the conservatory with her cello case and gets on a trolley. And what did this remind you of? Night I don't know what day? it reminded me of. Night it did day. not remind me of Night and Day, no. Our male hero creepily stalking the female <laughs> oh, lead here on public transportation. Yes, but at least in this case, there's, there's an actual good reason and not just because she, <laughs> she had nothing to do with the plot. Kara is taken by the KGB but leaves the cello case. And actually mm. there to seemingly do, conduct part of the interrogation is General Pushkin. Yep. Saban takes the trolley to the end of the line and takes the cello case into the bathroom and opens it in a stall. He finds that the gun that she had had shooting at Koskov with is inside the cello case. Okay, why is it inside the cello case? Because she was trying to get rid of it. So she brought it with her from Bratislava all the way to wherever we are. Bratislava. We're still still in Bratislava. We're still in Bratislava. She's never left. Well, then she's had a lot of time to get rid of it, and it still doesn't make sense. She is not a professional. She doesn't know what she's doing here. Well, it's lucky for her that they didn't take that cello case when they arrested her because then she would have been caught red handed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very good for her. But when he looks at the gun, he sees there are only blanks in the gun. By the so, way, as we discussed before, blanks are still dangerous. Safety still tech. dangerous. But they but if you're firing at, at a long range there, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And he also sees her address inside the case. So, again, 
proof. She is not a professional. She doesn't know what she's doing because you wouldn't leave the gun in a case that had your home address in it. Unless that's what they want you to think. Oh, God, stop. <laughs> uh, also, I guess she lives in Bratislava. Then. Yes, she is in Bratislava. It's part of the Soviet bloc. So she goes home and the KGB are still following her. Her place has been ransacked and we see Bond there has the cello case. But he says he dropped the gun in the river. Well, why didn't she think of that? She's not a professional. She doesn't. She's never been wrapped up in all sorts of, this sort of stuff. Even though she's dating a KGB general, <laughs> she's probably like, I don't want to know. Pretty also, much. Yes. I guess there were. No, you can clearly tell that there were no true crime podcasts in the eighties. <laughs> she would have listened to one of them and would have uh, been able to get away with that. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway, so I don't think we'd actually mentioned it until this point, but Koskov was her boyfriend. Bond pretends that he's a friend of Koskov's and that he, you know, he's there to pick up Kara. And so they head to Vienna to trick the KGB. She gets into a phone booth with the cello case and does a quick change and drives away with Bond. Yeah, basically what we're getting at here is that Koskov pretended to defect mm -hmm. just so he could get kidnapped and come back. And we will learn later, it gets more convoluted than that. And not come back though. He's not here. He's not in Bratislava. That's true. Yeah. Also, Bond lies about knowing where he is. Yep. Oh, that James Bond. He's following a lead. He's trying to get all the information he can. No, no. I mean, it's fine. Bond yeah. does kind of scummy stuff. I'm just making an observation. Okay. Before they leave for Vienna, she says, I have to get my cello at the conservatory. He's like, no, absolutely not. But then you see her loading the <laughs> cello into the back seat of the... Uh, of the Aston. The back seats of Astons are tiny, really. So uh, there's no way they could fit a cello in a hard case in the back seat. Better that than the trunk. <laughs> uh, I bet there's more space in the back seat than yeah. there. It is a I funny. I've transported a cello in a trunk before, and that's fine. And how about an Aston Martin trunk? Maybe they're really small. It is funny how they have to keep dealing with this cello. It's also kind of annoying, but it's also oh, funny. No, I, I love the cello. <laughs> Well, you're biased. Write in and, <laughs> everybody write in and see if you agree with me, you non-cello players. And some police find them. We get an, you know, an upgrade from the DB5's tire slasher, which is a laser. <laughs> yeah, this whole chase scene is really good. And it oh, goes yeah, on like and on and on. So yeah, it yeah. goes, the laser cuts through the car. And then, you know, when they hit the brake, it like the top half of the car goes off. There's mm -hmm. a roadblock. They launch a rocket. So he's got some gadgets in this car, which I liked. And he uses them, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a rocket to blow through the uh, roadblock. They go out onto the ice. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, this this scene, though, when he goes onto the ice and a tire blows out, and he uses the, uh, the rim of oh the tire God. to cut a hole in the ice around the police chasing them. And you just see them slowly sinking into the ice. First of all, if the ice was that thin... They would have crashed through anyways. And, you know, the sh what am I thinking of? What's the inner part of the tire? It's so funny. We've had this conversation before. We have? Yeah. Oh, and get, get smart when we were talking about, yeah. Yeah, but I remember what it's called this time. It's called a it? rim. It's called a, a tire rim. Thank you. But the rim would not be that sharp enough that you cut through it if if it was, you know, thick enough to drive on. And that's the only thing I'll, I'm going to say. <laughs> that's the only thing you find unrealistic about this whole movie. About this chase. About this scene, yeah. All the others can be explained by gadgets and Q branch and all that stuff. But that, <laughs> that is the one where I draw the line. <laughs> they have outrigger skis on the thing that come out and there's tire spikes on the remaining tires. There's a rocket engine they use to go up a ramp. Great. It's like Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but then they like go down a hill, get into a crash. Skis come off. 
they have to self-destruct it. Yeah, that was great. The self-destruct button. Mm-hmm. I mean, no self-destruct will ever be as cool as Star Trek Three when they're like Kirk, Code, Alpha, Gamma, <laughs> Charlie, Destruct. Uh, I really like that scene. I don't know why. I think it's a really good, good scene. It's a good scene. With no mode of transportation now, they end up using the cello case as a sled, and he's using this <laughs> the this cello to navigate. I, oh, I loved it. But then a bullet hole gets shot in the cello, and I'm like, oh no gives a character so yeah. this reminded me of the super mario brothers movie when oh. they're slipping through the pipes on the mattress no i did not think of that I, I remember it but i did not think of it <laughs> yeah this is so schlocky it was so great i love the part where he says sorry to some people as they like cruise by them no he said sorry to oh um, to cara cara when the cello got shot oh whatever. and then as they approach the border to vienna mm-hmm. uh, i like he's a he's a wave this as we pass by and it's his passport and they wave it mm-hmm. and they're like sliding underneath the partition and like throw the cello over it and then we have nothing to declare just the cello 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 <laughs> yeah it was very silly was oh i love it i love it <laughs> the rest anyway. of the movie is very serious in contrast yeah I think it's really because I, I know Dalton wanted to bring it back to the more Fleming-esque, the darkest parts of the series, but coming right after View to Kill, which is one of the more silly of mm-hmm. you know Roger Moore's, they couldn't quite find that balance between the silly and the serious. Okay, it sounds like a criticism of this movie, but it's hard to do. Yeah, so it is, it is, yeah. No shade anyway. on director John Glenn. I just noticed that on IMDb. <laughs> yes, he's actually directed a number of James Bond films. I think he has directed the most James Bond films, actually. And it's That's Glenn it. with yeah. one N, unlike the astronaut. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so we go over to Tangier. And yeah. we see this camera taking photos of Pushkin. And in the background of the cameras, we see like signals going to a yacht, which we'll come back to. So Pushkin is entering a compound. And in the compound, in like a hallway, are these statues of historical military leaders. But they're all in the form of Joe Don Baker. Yes, Joe Don Baker. I know him from the Mystery Science Theater episode Mitchell, which you've, okay. if you have never seen it, it's great. It's okay. one of the better Mystery Science Theater episodes. It's really funny. Jodan Baker is the lead. And of course, he is also in Goldeneye. Uh, and Tomorrow Never Dies. Right. As an American agent. So mm-hmm. I thought, silly me, that he was going to be the same <laughs> oh, character in this movie. No, no, no. Nope. <laughs> so they're just like, whatever. Who cares about the continuity? We'll have the same actor play two different roles. Not the first time in James Bond. Not the first time in a lot of things. Doctor Who is notorious for it. True, true, true. Yeah, he's basically obsessed with military history. And Joe Don Baker plays Brad Whitaker, who's an American arms dealer. Right. And he's obsessed with military history. He says to Pushkin, who's answer, what do you think of, you know, my uh, my hall of great military leaders? And Pushkin calls them all butchers. And Whitaker says, no, they trim the fat from the world. And I notice one of them is Hitler. That's true. That's a what? little bit much. I mean, he is a bad guy. Yeah. I don't know what you expect. Uh, I don't. I'm just. Mm. Uh, so we had. I know Hitler. I saw Napoleon. Presumably Genghis Khan. I think was in there too. Uh, there was at least one Roman centurion. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, so what they're trying to do here is they're trying to make him seem like one of these megalomaniacal bad guys mm-hmm. who wants to rule the world or change it. But yeah. Joe, first of all, Jonah Baker is not a good choice for a character <laughs> like that. Okay. He's very goofy, yeah. which is can work for some James mm-hmm. Bond villains, but not this one. But also, 
I think the idea where they're trying to do is he's an arms dealer, but he thinks of himself as like this as great like Hitler or yeah. like Napoleon or whatever. So that's kind of a cool idea that they also never really yeah. fully fleshed out over the course of the movie. And we find out here that, well, so Pushkin had ordered weapons from Whitaker, but wants to cancel the order. And mm. we find out that he actually, like, you know, Pushkin knows that Whitaker hasn't actually made any orders or done any deals yet. And also, like, brings up that he was expelled from West Point and actually never served as a soldier anywhere. Mm-hmm. Also, we see he has this, like, in his, what I'm going to call his game room, basically. He has all these, like, miniatures of, you know, military battles and stuff like that. Yeah, he is a wannabe. Yeah, very much so. Which is yeah. kind of pathetic. No offense to any wannabes out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay but yeah so pushkin tells whitaker you know i want my money back in however many days and you know whatever deal you're doing with koskov it's not gonna work out mm-hmm. we go back to vienna where bond and Kara are staying at the very fancy Schon- schonbrunn palace which i visited on my honeymoon intentionally yes was it because of this movie i mean yes <laughs> Wow, those just have been quite the honeymoon, I must say. Uh, it was great. I mean, I got, to, I saw this. I'll mention which other, the other big place that I saw here. But so this p- whole palace is not. It was a f- summer palace of the uh, Habsburg. Is it Habsburgs? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, whichever the ruling class in Vienna. I used to remember all of this once, like, but you know, it's been about almost two years now. Mm-hmm. So in this scene, Bond drops the Universal Exports line. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So Love it. I, I understood that reference finally. <laughs> Find out, of course, now that the cello is a Stradivarius, which is right. a very fancy and expensive stringed instrument. So is Stradivarius a person or a company? Yes, he was a person who made these things. Because I, usually you hear Stradivarius violins, right? Mm-hmm. I guess he made both. Checks into the hotel, and apparently the concierge knows him because he's like, you know, are you usual sweet? Is that yo? So stop says, stealing all of my favorite lines. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't I, have I, that many this time. I okay. with you. Okay, he buys a dress for Kara and gets tickets to the opera because mm-hmm. that's what James Bond loves to go to. Apparently, he's seen hey. it in other movies, right? I mean, opera's fun. I went to opera in Vienna. Not at the same opera house that they go to. A different opera house, actually, which is featured in a different spy movie. Any other Washington, D.C. residents, I highly recommend opera in the outfield. A free showing every year. (laughs) We go over back to Tangier, and Koskov is lounging by the pool. Someone summons him and Nekros. They have to go report to Whitaker. Whitaker tells them that Pushkin wants his money back and doesn't think that the Brits are convinced that Pushkin is actually doing this shadow operation thing. That's right. So they're going to kill another agent and get things Mm -hmm. moving here. Get things moving. And if Bond doesn't kill Pushkin at the end of the week, then Nekros will do the job. It's great how they explain their plot, just so the audience can figure out what's happening. <laughs> it's well done in a way, I think, that because otherwise you'd be complaining about, wait, I don't understand what the plot is. It's true. I barely understood the plot of this movie. It was way more convoluted than most James Bond movies. Compared to Dr. No, this was like totally convoluted and crazy. I mean, Dr. No is simply about toppling missiles. It's funny that you say Dr. No is about toppling missiles, because as we discussed at the time, missiles like barely had anything to do with the actual movie. What mm-hmm. I mean, though, is that for Dr. No, it's find the bad guy and kill him. Oh. As opposed to dealing with all of this crazy deception I- shenanigans. You're on a spy movie podcast. I know, right? I'm totally out of my depth, you can tell. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we go to the opera where Kara and 
Bond are watching. I believe it's Marriage of Figaro. Okay. We see Saunders there after the performance is over. He meets with Bond, recognizes Carr. He's like, wait, isn't that the girl with the cello? And he's yeah, no. It's, it's helpful that, you know, we get layers of the plot as they're untangled. It's coming so soon after Mission Impossible 1. I also think <laughs> it would have been pretty funny if this were a funnier movie. If okay. everywhere Kara goes, she drags her cello around with her. Like, <laughs> it's behind them on the roller coaster. It's uh... next to them in the opera. You would not bring a Stradivarius on a roller coaster. That's why it's funny. <laughs> okay. So speaking of the Stradivarius, so he tells Saunders that the Stradivarius is called the Lady Rose. And so to investigate when it was purchased and how did Koskov get the money to purchase it. So Saunders checking on that. He also needs to get passport papers for Kara and says, all right, Saunders is you know resistant. Bond forces him to do it and says, all right, meet at the Prado Cafe near the Ferris wheel. Yeah, now that's the spy movies I know, having meetings to plan more meetings. <laughs> well, you need to do the task and then come <laughs> back and meet again to do it. Right. So, yeah, they go on a roller coaster. They go through the carnival. There's a power bomb. cars. <laughs> yeah. He's really good at shooting. shooting. <laughs> I like that. This is where we get our second and final jump scare. Mm-hmm. With some Halloween-themed thing. The haunted house, yes. And then yeah. Kara says, take me on the wheel. So this is the other location I visited in Vienna related to oh, this yeah? movie. Ah, we went on the Ferris wheel. I was tr- hoping to get the same car number as they did, which was number 10. I don't remember which number I got, actually. I, I have photos of it, which, again, we'll post on our social media. Did you notice any semen stains from Bond? Okay, so here's the thing. I don't think they had sex in that thing. I think they 100% did. I okay, think that so- is what the movie is implying. This is as good as time to bring it up as any. Did uh-huh. you notice something about this movie? I noticed that there was nudity in it. And by that, I mean nudity. Yes, okay, there was that. And we'll get to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, so so this mm-hmm. is in the 80s. This is at the height of the AIDS epidemic, basically. Okay. So this is the reason why there's only one Bond girl in this movie. There are two. You only see Bond ever. We don't count the woman in the beginning. Why not? She's a person. She is a person, yes, but she is not a Bond girl, really. We don't even know her name. She doesn't have a par- any part in the plot. This can't be the only movie with one Bond girl. What about um, Goldeneye with Natalia? Natalia Zenya on the top. She's a bad guy. She's not no a Bond, Bond girl. girl. Also, <laughs> and also the uh, one in the very beginning. Well, she almost falls in the same category as the one on the yacht. The psychiatrist. Yes, thank you. I saw that back in the 80s, AIDS only applied to gay people. That's what everyone thought. At first, and then later it spread and people realized, no, this can affect everyone. I like the theory. I'm just not sure it's I not buy it. Not a theory. It's fact. It's pretty much, yeah, it is not completely confirmed, but yes, it is well known that this is the reason why there's only one Bond girl in this movie is because it was during the AIDS epidemic. Oh, interesting. Yep. Going back to this scene, I think they were just making out. <laughs> I don't think they had sex in there. They're kissing with all of their clothes on. And then when we come back to them later, they're still just kissing with their clothes on. Well, they're not going to get butt naked in a public place. That doesn't mean, you know what? I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> it's a James that, that, Bond movie. That, it's intentionally ambiguous. Usually in James Bond movies, when it's ambiguous, I generally choose to believe that there's sex, but. Fair enough. But with this fine. character, with Kara, he's more, I feel like more innocent than a lot of Bond girls. Uh, yeah you could say that again i feel like he doesn't seem like this is the first time they've even kissed in the movie even in it's what almost an hour in she's still technically with georgie 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 yeah can i say georgie and we'll just say that's the american pronunciation nope okay can i write it down let me say it again Yorgi. 
Okay. Back at the cafe, Saunders is waiting mm-hmm. for them. And I noticed in the cafe, there's a big Carlsberg beer sign, which <laughs> warmed my little heart. Because when oh. I've been traveling to places like Israel and New Zealand, I used uh-huh. to drink Carlsberg. Because okay. it's, it's kind of similar to like Bud Light or Sam uh, Adams. Okay. Like it's not good beer per se, but it's like uh-huh. acceptable. Which is a shame because in... Vienna, there are great beers, and there was one in particular that like was everywhere. But I can, I never took a photo of it, and I don't know what it was called. Well, I haven't been to Vienna. It's a bit of a sore subject because Christian already knows this, but for those of you oh. who haven't, in early 2020, I went oh. on a trip to Berlin and Prague, and That's I was right. supposed to go to Vienna when they That's shut right. the border, and we had That's to right. take you, a four You're basically flight following home. me because I, I had just been to Prague in Vienna. Mm-hmm. But you okay, actually I, made I got it out there. right before the border closed. <laughs> Yeah, well, you should go back and visit some of these locations because not only are they really cool Bonn locations, but they're like the Schönenbrunn Palace is full of history, too. Yeah, I mean, Vienna is just a cool city in yeah. general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bonn goes to meet with Saunders. Kara goes into a gift shop, which I didn't realize. I was like, oh, yeah, I actually went into that exact same gift shop. Wow, that's funny. That hasn't changed in 40 years. Not really, not much, no. I also wanted to comment that Bond intentionally kept Saunders waiting. So he's being a little bit of a dick, which is yeah. very consistent with James Bond, especially when people are dicks to him, which Saunders mm-hmm. totally was. Yep. But it's also a little bit of a power play to be like, mm-hmm. I'm the yeah. one in charge here. To be fair, he was just doing what Kara asked. She's the one who wanted to go on the wheel. She didn't ask to stop and make out on the wheel. Okay, fair enough. Yes, no. <laughs> Saunders tells him that the cello was bought at auction by Brad Whitaker. So this is the first time that Bond can connect Whitaker and Koskov. Right. And so their mission is they have to find Whitaker now. Mm-hmm. And so they get the passport for Kara. There, there seems to be some thawing of the ice between Saunders and Bond. Bond, you know, thanks him, and Saunders realizes, all right, Bond, you're actually on to something. Go find out what's going on. Saunders gets killed by a sliding door. This was really <laughs> stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah. So and we had seen Necros outside the cafe earlier. He like had opened up the mechanism for the sliding door and had a bomb placed there that so that I guess the safety would be turned off and it would like slam right into Saunders fast yeah. enough that it breaks the glass and presumably kills him. Yeah. Again, if this were like a naked gun or top secret kind of movie, it'd be kind of funny if he stepped through it and door slam. He's just like, ow, that hurt. Okay. What the heck? But he's like totally fine. And as Bond is looking at his body, the balloon comes over that has smeared spionum written right. on it. And he pops it in anger, which I mm-hmm. thought was unintentionally funny. Bond remembers seeing a balloon guy near Saunders as he was going up in in the in the wheel there's a you know you know hedge and he sees some balloons over it he like jumps over the hedge and almost shoots a kid fortunately doesn't yeah and kara's like you had a message oh yes yorgi is with whitaker and so let we go to tangiers now they certainly right. have the globe trotting part of james bond down mm-hmm. yeah so in tangier bonds is surveilling pushkin Pushkin goes to his hotel room to see his girlfriend, and Bond is in the room. As we get some more plot revelation, we find out that, again, for the audience, that Yorgi is not working for the Russians, and that he's doing some sort of deal with Brad Whitaker. That's right, but he needs Pushkin out of the way for it to happen. Yep. As this happens, Pushkin activates his tracker on his watch. Uh, so the guard comes in, Bond strips the girlfriend to be a distraction for the guard, and then knocks out the guard. Okay, this can was- we- yeah, no, no, no. We're going to talk about it. Don't worry. I'm not going to okay. skip over. I just want to get that. As okay. Yeah, that was terrible. Well, it was really weird also because James Bond movies don't usually have nudity in them. And I would believe it for something like 
License to Kill, which is supposed to be like a hardcore movie for hardcore people. But not so much this one. I mean, like this one, like I said, again, it's they're trying to find that balance and they didn't always find the tonal balance there. I did like that Pushkin had a secret watch. Mm-hmm. I always like it when bad guys have gadgets, too. <laughs> well, is he a bad guy? That's fair. He seems like a bad guy at the time, though. Yeah, he gets Pushkin down on his knees and is like Pushkin says, you know, we don't basically we won't know what their cost of planning if Pushkin's still alive. Mm-hmm. And so you think that's it. That he's going to be dead. But then the very next scene, Pushkin appears on a stage at that conference. I was proud of myself that I figured out what they were doing here. I mean, this one's fairly obvious. Still, let me have this. (laughs) Okay, all right. We see a dead body next to a spotlight, and we find that Necros has killed the guy. And he's watching as, you know, Pushkin makes his speech. And then Bond shoots Pushkin. Necros is kind of stunned, but then he goes and turns the spotlight over towards Bond. Bond shoots out the spotlight and then runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we get a rooftop chase, which someone out there, please re-edit this chase to one jump from Aladdin. Yeah. And we see Pushkin taken backstage on a, a stretcher. And then I love the, how he, when he, like his girlfriend is like crying over his body. And then Pushkin like just opens his like one bulging eye and is like, mm-hmm. and then like the girlfriend is like shocked. Oh yeah. I guess they didn't let her in. Are you sure? No. But- by the way, are you sure that she's his girlfriend? I thought he, she was his wife. I guess I can talk about this now. So initially, this role was supposed to be General Gogol, uh huh, the head of the KGB in movies, dating back to Spy Who Loved Me, I believe. But his actor was in such poor health, they had to you know rewrite it as his successor and have him in a minor role. But there was a recurring character who was his like mistress girlfriend, and this would have been her. Oh. I see. Yeah. That would have been a little bit cleaner storytelling wise. Yeah. But you do what you gotta do. Anyway, so this is where we get Bond walking on the street. He's looking at, he steals a pair of sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And then we hear the sexy saxophone music. <laughs> Very 80s. <laughs> and these two girls come up to him saying, looking for a party? Yeah. Flashback briefly to Pushkin. We find out he had like a bulletproof vest on and blood pack. Yeah, that, I think uh, they call them squibs in today's day and age. And now squibs are exploding packets so they explode that's not what it was <laughs> oh no, no this was a blood pack so that if it gets hit then the blood explodes as opposed to having explosion come with the right so bond yeah. was actually hitting him with bullets <laughs> yep oh no he was really right. hitting him with bullets one of my favorite quotes later we'll save that okay so uh, one thing about the assassins yeah. well they're, they're not assassins the girls i thought the they agents. were assassins yeah whatever they were I do think it's kind of funny that Bond doesn't see anything suspicious about strange women asking him <laughs> if they want to get go in for this a ride, car. Yeah, 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 for a party, car. yeah. So, yeah, so they saying, you know, let me off here. And one of them has a gun in his back. And so they take him to the yacht we saw before. It's Felix Leiter. Somebody is like, is the party still on then? <laughs> or maybe that was so, me watching the movie. One of the girls said that. So the Bond movie, because they've recast Felix Leiter so many times that I feel like every time they intro a new, oh, oh no, let's see. Here, I know Doctor No and in Thunderball and here. Anytime they intro a new, a, a lot of times when they intro a new Felix or any Felix, really, they have this scene where you think he's going to be a bad guy. Then it's revealed it's Felix Leiter. Ah, that's funny. I didn't realize that. Again, we get a little plot dump here. Tells Felix that's all, that it's a frame job. That you know he that Pushkin's actually alive, mm-hmm. and that they're just trying to you know figure out what's going on with Koskov. Para is practicing her cello. I'm going to critique her her cello technique here a little bit. So she's got... Uh, 
the flat of the bow like on the string instead of the angle which i'm like oh, okay she's not definitely not a real cellist and then she has her fingers across it like you were if you're playing a guitar whereas with a cello it's really about the fingertips that you need yeah i can see that you think it'd be easier to find a cello player and teach them to act rather than vice versa maybe Especially i don't know a lot of those early bond girls were models not actors so you think but, they'd be used to it she was an actress, actually. So fun, fun. She actually was. She was an actress, but she was also. They used her a lot. I think probably in the Roger Moore era as a stand-in for when they were casting people. Like, and so she would like f- sit in to read lines with them, and then ended up. Oh, okay, you can do this. We'll have cast you as the main Bond girl. Because this goes to show, if you're patient, sometimes things pay off. Yeah, but she was practicing her cello. Apparently, Bond did not tell her where he went. <laughs> Come on. So she's been worried all day, like, you know, what happened to him. And uh-huh. she has a drink for him ready and she shakes the martini shaker, which made, made me think, all right, how long has she been waiting? How long have those been ready? How is the ice not melted already? <laughs> oh, it must have been some kind of cooling. No, it was just right out there. Just yeah, out there? Out. Yeah, yeah. Bond tells her the truth that Koskov betrayed everyone, that he's not actually Koskov's friend, but he's a British agent. And that Koskov wanted her dead because if Bond had done his job correctly, he would have killed her and then she would not be there to, you know, reveal his plot. She was a loose end. And I guess Mm -hmm, he still is one. Yeah. But she reveals that, no, that's not, you know, I don't believe you at all because I called Brad Whitaker. So she's the one who made the phone call. She said that Bond was a KGB agent sent to kill her. Sure, why not? And we find (laughs) out that there's a chloral hydrate in the martini, which poisons him. And then he reveals that he was the one sent to kill her by, like, you know, showing where she got hurt by the gun when it flew out of her hands. And Necros and Koskov come and take them away on a plane. Yes. And once they're on the plane, Kara switches sides again. There's a medical flight. Kara's dressed up as a nurse. We find, like, to get past customs, they reveal that there's a human transplant box with a heart in it. (laughs) Which is, it's a little extra, Mm -hmm. as you might say. Kara wakes up on the flight. Carolyn noticed that the box says handle like eggs on it. Hey, that's a good description. What does handle with care mean? <laughs> like how much care, really? So, some people care a lot. Some people she don't did care a little so research on it because I'm like, I, I was like, I think it's a Britishism, but I know it's been in Bond movies before. So she did some research and apparently it dates back to Thunderball. There's something that in, which says handle like eggs there. But it may be something that the British military has used, but that like it's a little unclear. So you only see it in James Bond movies. That's where I've seen it, basically. Nuclear bomb handle like eggs. Pretty much. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so Bond looks at the heart. Carol realizes she's been played. It's revealed that the heart that's in there that's still beating it's not actually human heart; it's an animal heart. And what the purpose of it is is they're smuggling the diamonds in the ice. Yeah, that's why they call it ice. So, this box, once upon a time when the Spy Museum had their big James Bond exhibit, that box was with the heart, and I remember it being open, was in the Spy Museum in one of their exhibits. And I have photos of it. I I can't find them now, but before we post this, I will find them and post those photos. Of all the things from a James Bond movie you would want to save, I would not have thought of that. (laughs) Hey, it's a cool (laughs) prop. I mean, it's it's interesting, but... There's a lot of cool props in a James Bond movie. And then they had many of the spy music. That was just one of them. Koskov is going to turn Bond in for the murder of, murder of General Pushkin. That was something I was wondering about. 
is why is Bond still alive? And the answer is so they can frame him, Mm -hmm. which is kind of tricky for villains who I don't really like very much. (laughs) Koskov will claim that he's been on a secret mission for Pushkin, spreading disinformation to the British intelligence. And so they arrive. Where do they arrive, Zach? Don't they arrive in Afghanistan? Yep. Which is why I wanted this movie after Charlie Wilson. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And are the final leg of our globe trotting trip around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they arrive in Afghanistan. They give the uh, Kara and Bond over to the Russians. Kara has palmed Bond's keys so and now she has them in her possession. Yeah. So I wanted to say Yorgi betrays Kara too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's just double crosses all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, she is still yeah. a loose end, so he needs to get rid of her. Yeah, there's a plane. You could throw her out of the plane, dude. <laughs> Come on. Is this your first day of super villainy? <laughs> I also yeah. something about a defector claim. I don't remember what the context is for that. Claiming that Kara is a defector. Oh, that's why he, the Russians are willing to arrest her. Yep. 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 So they're put into a prison in Afghanistan with uh, by the Russians. There's another yes. prisoner there. He looks like Jason Manzukas. <laughs> he kind of does. I never connected that. That's funny. But yeah, so at one point, Kara drops the keys, but Bond gets it. Uh, but the, 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 like, they beat up Bond a bit, and the guards take the keys. Bond whistles, activates the gas, and mm-hmm. there's a big... The other prisoner helps, and they get the guards into the cell, and they let that other prisoner out and put on some Russian jackets and mm-hmm. watch them as they're like transporting the diamonds. Yeah, there's kind of a long exfiltration part. And there's also a part where there's blood on someone's arm. I know James Bond movies usually have blood, but oh, yeah. not a lot. Oh, it's when they slam the door, like his oh, arm the in, door. The, yeah, yeah. in the prison cell door. Yeah, I never saw that too. But eventually they escape and they meet the Taliban. The Mujahideen. <laughs> chuckle, chuckle. Uh-huh. Yeah, they get captured. But uh, the other prisoner saves them from being killed, and they're taken back to the base. Find out that the prisoner's name is Kamran Shah. Yeah, he cleaned up really good. He doesn't look like Jason Manzukas anymore. And now he has a British accent. Well, of course he does. <laughs> it is a James Bond movie. Yeah. So Bond tells him what the plot is and says that he needs to get back to the airbase. It's possible to bring you directly there, but you know, come on this mission with us first, and then we'll see what we can do. Yeah, I liked how these guys had their own agenda, mm-hmm. and they're willing to help out, but not that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've got they've got some stuff going on over there. If you can remember, right. <laughs> yeah, it feels like again, it feels like a living world. There's also a part where he says, "I won't wait for you to bond." I'm like, "Don't threaten me with a good time." <laughs> Kara and Bond are reunited. Bond says he's going to go with Cameron on the mission and. Kara's going to stay there. Kara's mad at him. Yeah. But they make up and make out. As you do. I guess she's single now. So mm-hmm. what are you waiting for? Which is another reason why I don't think they had sex on the Ferris wheel. Okay. Think what you like. Kara ends up coming with them. And yep. so they're doing a deal with the Snow, Snow Leopard Brotherhood, who are some of the biggest opium dealers in the region. And they're dealing to the Russians. And we see that Koskov's actually there. Bond realizes that Koskov is going to buy the drugs with the diamonds but then he's going to make a profit after he sells the drugs and mm-hmm. use that pop profit to buy the weapon that's right so he will be able to do all that so basically he's double dealing and he's going to end up with some profit even after the initial deal of buying the weapons yeah it's a bit of a complicated plan let's see how it works out for him uh-huh 
So he Bond tells Cameron this and then says, you know, he's going to buy weapons to use against you. He's like, okay, we'll help, but, you know, we can't cross the Snow Leopard Brotherhood, so we'll help you after the Russians pay them. <laughs> Makes sense to me. So he gives Bonds a plastic explosive and goes right past Necros, who does not spot him. Yeah, it was a close call. So he's loading the truck up with all the opium, sneaks in the truck, and they drive away with Bond in it. Car, like, she grabs his AK-47, runs off with on the horseback like, to go help Bond. My note for this is Kara emasculates the Shah and shames <laughs> him into helping. Yep, pretty much. Or I guess just Shah, not the Shah. That's yeah, somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the only time she does something cool in this movie, IMO. Uh, no. Okay. I didn't think very highly of Kara, sorry. Or Kara. Whatever. So, Bond is, empties out one of the bags that has the opium in it and puts C4 in it, bringing all the trucks to a cargo plane. Bond sneaks out and Cameron. Yeah, this and- is the problem with outsourcing all of your manual labor. It's like you're saying <laughs> the evil overlord list. Uh where you have a bunch of guys who you don't know, it makes them easy to infiltrate. <laughs> I also foresaw that once he put the bomb into one of those bags, yeah, that he was going to have trouble finding it again. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. is a sharpie is a very useful thing for super spies to carry around because he just could have marked it. Uh-huh. Cameron and Kara sneak close to the plane, and Bond sets a timer on the bomb. But as he's doing that, his face covering fell down, and Necros and Koskov spot him. So he grabs a gun, shoots at them. I did like how the plan doesn't go perfectly. Mm-hmm. That he oh, like, yeah. screws up and has to like recover from it. Mm-hmm. Koskov is very insistent. Don't shoot at the plane because you'll destroy the plane and then, then we can't get all that all the dope out of here. Yeah, that one line basically explains all the really bad decisions the bad guys make <laughs> over the next like 20 minutes. Cameron and his men charge. Bond gets into the cockpit, starts the plane, part where the plane can't move over a brake pad. And mm-hmm. Koskov at one point tries to get on, like runs onto the plane, but and gets and try to get into a door, but fails. Yeah, he can't catch a very slow moving plane. What a great scary James okay, Bond villain! So, so here's a, <laughs> I mean, the plane is probably moving 30, 40 miles an hour. This when it starts to get moving. It is it, true that it's hard to say how fast it's going just by looking at it. Yeah, yeah. I was reading. It was actually an article on Die Another Day when it came out about how mm-hmm. there's a scene where him and Halle Pierce and Halle Berry have to run to get onto this plane, and it's going 30, 40 miles, and like when it's starting to take off, basically. And it's mm-hmm. so it it doesn't look like it's that fast, but when you try to get to run run up to speed to it, it takes a lot. And they managed to do it, but they had to do a few takes. Okay. I know I, you don't like Yorgi, but I'm just just in his defense. It just didn't look like it was going fast the okay. way it was filmed. So it's just okay. funny. All right. Other observations from this big fight. There's a part where the Taliban use <laughs> the, a front end loader as a weapon oh, yeah. to smash Cameron, through the yeah. wall. So that was cool. And then when there's an explosion, Kara falls off her horse. And I was worried that that was going to be it for her. And then, then, but then we see her getting a Jeep and chasing after Bond. That was so, pretty so, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So who was it who dies on the fuel truck? Is it Yorgi? No. Yeah. So this random Russian general climbs into a fuel truck, sits there, and then blows up. So he was there to try to block the runway. Okay. Because I was like, but what was his plan? That was it. Because Yorgi <laughs> shouts, block the runway so he can't get out. And so he goes and does that. I think that was his friend who greeted him like earlier on. Mm-hmm. Cameron and the 
the Mujahideen, you know, blow that up so that Bond can go through. He turns into Fast and Furious 6. <laughs> but much faster. It's not the world's longest runway here. Yeah, it's only the world's second longest runway. <laughs> no, so it's, he, Bond's trying to take off, lowers the cargo bay doors. Kara drives in, but Necros also jumps in. Kara distracts Bond as he's trying to fly the plane, and they. I do think this part is kind of dumb. This is an airbase. They don't have fighter jets around to force Bond to land. Like, <laughs> line about don't shoot the plane because you might blow up the plane and then all of our money will be gone is like, okay, that's fine. I don't love it, but it's acceptable. But this the idea is not that. not the airbase, though. I thought it was. Watch, well, I don't know. You know, it's unclear where this. You're, you know, you're probably right. This is probably the airbase. I, I mean, it, it's got to be at least an airbase, if yeah. not the airbase. Right. No. I guess what I'm saying is stealing the plane was a little too easy. I okay. love that part. <laughs> all right, all right. Bond puts Car in the pilot seat and goes to look to, for the bomb to deactivate it. He doesn't find it, but mm-hmm. finds Necros, who attacks him. Right. Car gets the bright idea to open the cargo bay door, and Necros and Bond fall out and grab onto the netting, which is holding all of the opium. Yeah, this was a great stunt. Oh, yeah, no, and they did this for real. Well, not with Timothy Dalton and not with <laughs> Necros, but with yeah. stunt doubles. But mm-hmm. they did that for real. So there were, those are real men hanging out the back on the webbing, which is yeah. impressive. Yeah, it looks really real. And then the part where the opium comes flying out, that looked really good, mm-hmm. too. So I was impressed and, by this scene. And at one point, Necros is only hanging on by Bond's boots. So Bond takes his boot off. I didn't like this part. I thought it was kind of stupid. Because he's holding on the boot, but right next to him is a net. <laughs> so he could just kind of like moved his hand over. Yeah, but he wasn't thinking in that moment. Well, there you go. Goes back in, finds the bomb, stops with two seconds left, but sees the fighting below and sees that Cameron and his men are being chased by the Russians. So Bond drops the bomb on one of the two tanks that is chasing them and blows the bridge up. And Cameron and his men celebrate. Yeah, they were like these two like mini tanks that yeah, were very yeah. cute and adorable tanks. <laughs> but the okay. bridge looked really good, like the way it was filmed. Mm-hmm. This is really good. I also have a note that he disarmed the bomb very easily. There was no <laughs> cut in the red wire. He just reaches in and clicks it and turns it off. He said it sort of in a hurry. It was just a detonator with C4. It's not a nuclear bomb, which has, you know, multiple wires and all that sort of stuff that you need. Well, at least in the movies. I don't yeah. know about real life. I don't know. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, I buy it because you can say it's supposed to be hidden. Like, mm-hmm. the hiding is what's protecting it. Yeah. Which counting yeah. on them not finding it. Yeah. So, it didn't bother me too much. I just thought it was a little funny. He's like, oh, the bomb! There's three seconds left. Click. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, good. Actually, go back to Goldfinger. How do yes. they disarm the bomb? Just a button. What about the one where he has to slowly lift it out? Was that, that is, not Goldfinger? No, that is uh, Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking of. In all of this excitement... Seems like one of the fuel tanks has gotten hit on the big plane. And so yes. you see the engines you slowly die and like sputter out. And now they're just coasting. A character going on a plane through a gunfight without getting hit once is like a character running through a bunch of zombies without getting bit once. Like it's stupid. And I'm glad when they actually suffer some consequences for being in the middle <laughs> yeah. of a gunfight. Okay. They get in the Jeep. Bond has, lowers the cargo bay doors. There's no Because there's no place to land. They activate the chute on <laughs> on the contraption that they're on, slide out the back, plane crashes in the background as they drive off to Karachi, where Bond knows a great place to eat. Yeah, this was all really good. Like, uh, getting out of the plane, watching the plane crash, RIP plane, we've been through so much together. <laughs> in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, and then they flee for the border, Yep, which is also a spy movie trope. 
Bond is going into Whitaker's compound to take him down. Felix is helping him. Whitaker is over in his game room. He's playing out some different military conflicts, uh, currently playing Gettysburg. Yeah, he's basically saying, like, if I was the general, I could have won Gettysburg. Yeah. Seems like he's, like, unhinged. Oh, yeah. At oh, yeah. This point. We didn't talk about them earlier, but, like, underneath his, like, little game tables, he has, like, sliding uh, shelves that have all the guns in them. So he, like, uses one and, like, surprises Bond and then uses another to get gun out. And they have a nice callback to uh, Dr. No, where he says, you've had your eight. Let me have my 80. And it has, like, this giant machine gun. It's definitely a callback to Dr. No. It's not just a coincidence. Yeah, no. I mean, the, the, you've had your six. Yeah. We know that because we're James Bond super fans. but. I don't know if uh, the writers were intentionally doing that, but I will yes, take your word for that they were. <laughs> okay, they Come know on. what they're doing. So yeah, yeah, he basically is like a science fiction supervillain here. <laughs> He's got his killer robot. He's got this science fiction looking gun. Mm-hmm. I didn't like this scene. Yeah, it was I mean, it was over quickly. So well, how does he defeat mm. him? Bond puts a, the keyring finder on a statue of Wellington and does a wolf whistle. Whitaker's right in front of it, so explodes and falls on Whitaker. And he's dead. Yep. Dead, dead, dead. And don't ask why he shows up again in Goldeneye. <laughs> Different character. Obviously, yes. So Pushkin arrives with, with the KGB. And they found Koskov. Georgi's like, yes, yes, of course. Send him on the first plane to Moscow. In the diplomatic bag. Yeah, I don't understand what that meant. <laughs> it means put him in a body bag. Oh, okay. I wasn't familiar with the term diplomatic bag. Because there's like bags that hold like documents. So I was like, the idea is like they like chop him up and put him in a bag. Basically. <laughs> okay. Maybe they could have phrased it as like send him back to Moscow in pieces. I don't know. Just so I would have understood it. Uh-huh. But Bond and Pushkin realize what about Kara? So we next go back to Schindenburn Palace where Kara is playing cello. Conductor here, I'm not going to ask if you recognize him because most people wouldn't know what he looks like, but that's John Barry who composed a lot of the music for the James Bond films. This was actually his last James Bond film that he composed the music for. Well, that's nice that he was able to be in front of the camera for a Mm -hmm. change. Yeah, and I'm going to criticize her playing again. Like, Mm -hmm. you can tell when it's her and then when it's not her. (laughs) As Mm -hmm. a former cellist, I can tell. Oh, yeah, that's definitely her and she's not, her finger placement's not great. Oh, that's definitely an actual cellist when they do the close-ups of the hands, yes. Very jarring change. So Emma's there. She meets General Gogo, who I've talked about you know, previously. But mm. apparently he's now working with the Foreign Service instead of the KGB and has arranged an immigration visa for Kara. So she come and go as she likes. Yay. And then Cameron and his men arrive. They missed their performance because they had some trouble at the airport. And like his two men are wearing like bandoliers with bullets in them. This is great. I love that. Would not play well. I love the Afghans coming back. That was uh. so funny. Uh, but we find out that Bond is actually on assignment, so he had to miss the performance. So she goes to her dressing room. She hears a whistle, keyring finder going off. Bond pops out from behind the, one of those dressing screens and said, you, you didn't think I was going to miss this performance, did you? Mm-hmm. And then they kiss and ends with a, oh, James. Okay, now can we talk about Kara? I've been waiting the whole movie. Okay, what? Well, so we talked to Sarah about how James Bond girls are often very, like, passive and they're like sex objects and they're often kind of dumb and i feel like kara is like the epitome of that no 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 you take that back she is not dumb she's just out of her element well 
a little column A, a little. I, bit I don't think B. I saw. I didn't see her as a sex object here. Like she, she gets none of the like you know gratuitous outfits that a lot of Bond girls do. By the way, I'm glad you brought that up. What's up with the poster? The Living Daylights poster is her backside wearing this super sexy dress, and she never even wears that's, it in the movie. Well, that's not actually her. I'm sure that it's not, but the implication is that it would be. Can't believe yeah. a movie poster would lie to me. What is this world coming to? No, but anyway, so like Kara, okay, fine. She's not dumb, but she no. like doesn't do very much to like, doesn't do much of anything in the movie. She just basically does what Bond tells her to do. The only time she doesn't is when she grabs the AK-47 and is like charging in. Hmm. That's it. I thought she was a fun character, and I really, I, I just like her in there, and just being basically, you know, an every person being thrust into this world of super spies and all that sort of stuff. Glad you like that part, but that's almost every Bond girl. Mm. It's just unfortunate timing that it comes so soon after our James Bond day draft conversation. She ain't Halle Berry, is what I'm getting at. Hold up, no, Halle Berry is a terrible Bond girl. Yeah, but she she's like a she like fights and she can do stuff and she makes her own way in the world. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, so maybe I'm remembering her wrong. I guess what I'm saying is Kara's not a, another secret agent. Not every Bond girl has to be another secret agent. You can have a strong female character without having them be another spy. That's true. So you think Kara's a strong female character? I don't know that I see her as a strong female. I mean, I see her actually having a character, unlike some Bond, uh-huh. car- Bond girls. That's fair. I would not say she's like top 10. You could do much worse. That's true. Okay, so with that is a mind, big shift from the, saying that she's the primo example of the b- terrible Bond girl. Yeah, the, she's not the primo example. I take that back. That's Okay, fine. all right. All right, so now it is time to get into fact versus fiction. I have a little bit if you want me right, to go what do you first. Have? Yeah, go first. So I found this pamphlet called Mujahideen Tactics in the Soviet-Afghan War okay. from the Conflict Studies Research Center by a a man, I presume a man, named C.J. Dick. And he says that the purpose of raids on security outposts were to undermine enemy morale, but mostly they were to get arms and ammunition for the guerrillas. They used scores to a few hundreds of fighters rather than a dozen or so used by special forces. This Mm -hmm. was due to the need for manpower to carry off spoils and casualties. Late afternoon and more commonly night was the time of choice because darkness inhibited enemy reactions and made air support ineffectual. Hmm. So I feel like if this movie were more realistic, that big final battle would have taken place at night. (laughs) Yes, but would they be doing a drug deal at night like that? Well, I understand they explained it by, we have to attack now, 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 before we run out of time. Hmm. The problem that the Mujahideen ran into was the Soviets would use minefields against them which mm-hmm. you may remember from Charlie Wilson. They had right. no mine detection capabilities. They also had no radio communications that made it hard to coordinate. And then when night fire raids did take place, it usually involved the bombardment of outposts as well as airfields with rockets, mortars, anti-tank weapons, and howitzers. This happened almost daily. So I guess guys riding on horses was not so common. And that is what I have. <laughs> okay. So what I've got first, I've got about the pipeline. So the Trans-Siberian Pipeline, also known as the, let's see if I get how my Russian pronunciation, uh-huh. Pipeline mm-hmm. is a real pipeline, and it's one of Russia's main natural gas export pipelines. It's partially open, owned and operated by the Ukraine. It's first proposed in 1978. 
and was actually constructed between 1982 to 1984. So this would be a very, really fairly recent development at the time 1987 was filmed. Yeah, seriously. So people would be like, oh, yeah, I'm not familiar with that. Maybe it could totally do that. Yeah. So (laughs) Stradivarius. So there Uh are a number of different Stradivarius instruments, violins, violas, cellos, and they're either built by members of the Italian Ferris Stradivari, particularly Antonio Stradivari. I don't believe there is actually cello that's known as the Lady Rose. Do they have names, though? They do have names, yes. Let's okay. see. For example, there's one that's named... Let me, are these, oh, these are violins. Actually, let's look for the, the cellos. The Marleybone, the Medici, Barjanski, Bonjour. Yes, they all have names. Okay. There's one that's named Amaryllis Fleming, who is uh-huh. a cousin... Oh, no, half-sister sister to Ian Fleming. Oh, that's fine. Uh, wow, yeah, all these yeah. famous Flemings. Mm-hmm. Smirsch, or Smidet Spionem, so also known as Smirsch, and was started by Stalin, I believe, but was only active between 1942 to 1946. So was not active in the timeline of the actual James Bond novels in which it featured in, which included Casino Royale, up through, I think, about Live and Let Die or so, until maybe about Goldfinger. Yeah, no, Goldfinger, I think, was the last one that featured in, because in the novel Goldfinger. Goldfinger is actually the treasurer of Spursh. Huh. Yeah. I guess the legend will live forever, though. Yes. So it was only active during that point. Either they were basically the Soviet counterintelligence. Finally, so I did look up because I was like, there's no way that that's actually how you transport a heart. Mm-hmm. But there is a thing called a heart in a box, which is basically how yeah they yeah use a similar technology where they will have the heart have and it will be beating and it will be stored in ice, and yeah, it's kind of weird, but that is a similar, not exactly that, but how they transport a heart. I think they would have at least had some plastic over the heart or something. So they do, they do. When I find those photos, there is, it's not just, there is plastic over where the heart is. It's not just ex- fully exposed to the, to the elements. To the elements. Like, like, yeah. Here, I'll, I'll drop this in the chat, and maybe we'll show this off to our... Uh, social media. To our social media, but... Yeah, it looks much more sci-fi-y, though. <laughs> All right, finally. So like I said at the beginning, I did read the short story, which this was based on. The, basically, what it takes part is the part where he's where they're bringing someone over. And, they're, and so he's acting as a counter-sniper. Okay, that's the but only similarity. <laughs> that's, well, it's, it's pretty much a pretty accurate depiction of that entire part. So it actually takes place over like a three-day period instead of just you know however many minutes. And so mm. Bond is told that, you know, they're sending this Agent 272 across the border, actually, and it's set in Berlin, and right where Checkpoint Charlie will be a year later. So it's a year before that, apparently. And so there's someone who's going to be coming across, and there is a orchestra performance, like, a- across the border, and he will he f- sees a girl with a cello. And because mm. he's, so- he's so bored, just waiting for every, every you know, day from mm. uh, sundown until sunup, person to come across that he makes up this fiction in his mind about who this cellist must be and and basically falls in love with this girl just by seeing her and then on the third day 272 is coming across and they spot the rifle coming out and this in this case it's an ak-47 that they're that the the, the, Mm. the, uh, sniper is using and then he sees that it's the girl with the cello or it's in the movie he doesn't actually shoot her in the head. He adjusts his aims and shoots the gun oh, out Oh, I of thought her it hand. was going to be like some kind of tragedy where no. he has to shoot no. her. And then yeah. he's like, no, what no, we could have been. 
he does, but then and like he actually even has this melancholy about leaving the little apartment that he'd been stationed in this whole time with the character's name is not Saunders in the book, it's Senders. I don't know why they change it to that subtle like difference. Maybe because Senders is not a name that people have. Yeah. But <laughs> but Senders is also very snooty and is all this sort of stuff. So and mm. he gives a pretty much identical speech about, you know, you go ahead and tell whoever that I did that. And if they fire me, that and and then the drop drop the line of, you know, whoever it was must have scared the living daylights out of them. Ah, uh, there you go. That whole part is pretty accurate to the novel. Added a bunch of other stuff. But I like that they didn't. Inc- and actually, they, they make a mention of a Marilis Fleming in the book as well. <laughs> Uh-huh, nice. Yeah. So yeah, so that's what I've got for Spy Fact vs. Fiction. All right, so now it's time for our favorite quotes. I guess I will go first. All right. So I liked Better Make That Two Hours. <laughs> okay. Also, just the way he said it. He said mm-hmm. it better than I did. Yeah. Also, later he says, I only kill professionals. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, is that true? I, then I thought about it. I was like, yeah, I actually think mm-hmm. it is true. I don't think he's ever killed somebody. I, I feel like he's probably killed like henchmen, but I guess they qualify yeah. as... Mm-hmm. And then there's a part where we see his ID, which is Jersey Bonden. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. Absolute favorite line. And I'm glad you didn't say it while oh. we were doing our recap is he kills Necros and he runs in to the cockpit. And she says, what happened to Necros? And then he says, he got the boot. So first of all, that's a solid pun. But also <laughs> you can tell it's ADR because Timothy Dalton's mouth like does not move. Oh, I missed all. that. I didn't see that. Okay. Well, it's also because he's like jumping towards oh. the cockpit because he sees they're about to crash into the mountain at the same time. Yeah. So it's very obvious that he didn't actually say it. <laughs> okay. I like a lot of the ones where he's explaining to Kara, like, oh, how can my car do all this? It was like, amazing, this modern safety glass. Or mm-hmm. uh, I've had a few auctional extras installed. I also mm-hmm. like from Yorgi when uh, Bond brought all the food. And he's like, as the Russians say, hearts and stomachs, good comrades make. Now that's solid wisdom for and you. And let's see. I also like from Pushkin after he's like showing off all the blood packs. He's like, this is the first time I'm glad James Bond is a good shot. Yeah. So what else who knows who James Bond does? <laughs> and finally, so you did part of this, but it's the whole little speech that he does at the end of that sequence is from the books. He says, stuff my orders. I only kill professionals. Girl didn't know one end from the, of the rifle from the other. Go ahead and tell him whatever you want. If he fires me, I'll thank him for it. Whoever she was, it must have scared the living daylights out of her. Wow, that was uh, kind of hardcore for Bond. Usually he doesn't threaten to like quit. Dalton loves the novels. And in the novels... Bond mm. is almost always like on the edge of quitting because he's just so tired of that life, basically. Okay. Well, yeah. I could see that. It didn't totally translate into this movie, but that moment was, uh-huh. was a good one. All That's right, so it. now it's time for our ratings on a scale of 1 to 10 martinis, 10 being a great hypothetical spy movie and 1 being The Avengers 1998. How would we rate The Living Daylights? I can go first. Sure. So as you may have determined from our recap, I didn't think this movie was bad, but I didn't think it was especially good either. I thought the bad guys were pretty poor. They weren't particularly interesting. Kara didn't do that much for me. Timothy Dalton did like, okay. Oh, also, there was some racism that I forgot to mention under my favorite quotes. There's a part where someone says, we'll save you for the harem, aka the harem. Kara Dalton, yes. Yes. The buttock slapping. The chases yeah. were good, but that final thing with the plane, aside from the stunt, I know. It was, all ended up being like, okay, so I will give it 5 out of 10 martinis. Okay. Alright. And as you could probably tell from 
our review, I had much m- a more fun time than Zach did for this. So mm-hmm. I had to look at you know what I rated The License to Kill because I I definitely enjoy this movie more than License to Kill. I don't know that I enjoy it when you know I I do enjoy it probably like a bit more than I enjoy Doctor No because I I really like Timothy Dalton as a Bond. I think. You know, he may not have gotten the best scripts, but he was able to bring some of that Fleming character, which, you know, I've read all the books. And I was after about the time after I'd finished all of the books that I watched his for the first time. And I was like, oh, he's really trying to bring that Fleming-esque character to his performance, even though some of his scenarios and plots are still the goofier kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a 7.5. It's probably added to by the fact that I visit some of these locations. So when I have memories attached to these locations, I see them. And I do enjoy Kara as a Bond girl. And the cello. That helped, too. <laughs> I'm sure it did, yes. <laughs> yeah, the bad guy from License to Kill. Now, he had style. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. I liked him. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. And you can find us, as always, on social media at the SpyFi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are the SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.